Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's your host, Rabbi Tovia Kopsty. Welcome back to Our Tribe, the podcast. I'm Tuvia Kopstein, and in this episode, we sit down with Bracha Getz. Bracha is the author of 41 Jewish children's books, and she's been on the children's books scene since the 1980s when her children were little. She has an incredible story to tell about how she dealt with her own personal demons and eventually discovered, had a spiritual rediscovery as a young adult, which led her to a career of writing books. We discussed the actual business side of writing the books, the publishing and the promotion. And then mostly, most of the conversation, however, is, is focused on the spiritual aspect of the, the position of an author to tell a story that can really make change, that can instill core values in a child, and not just in the child, but also everyone who reads the book to the child. And you're going to love this interview. Bracha is so colorful and effusive in her speech and in her whole being. So enjoy. And I must mention station identification that our tribe, the podcast is powered by the podcast fellowship, which is an amazing global Jewish young adult outreach nonprofit where Jewish young adults around the world are listening to Torah classes discussing what they learned with a mentor local to that student area, earning a fellowship thereby, and becoming enlightened with Jewish knowledge. Check out the Podcast Fellowship, www.podcastfellowship.org. Without further ado, our Tribe the Podcast with Bracha Getz. Okay, and we are here with Mrs. Bracha Getz. How are you, Bracha? Wonderful. Thank you. Okay, and I understand you're in Israel right now? Yes. Are you living there now? I'm I'm here until March. We're we're transitioning to living here. Oh, beautiful. Yes. Okay. Excellent. Okay, so Bracha, you're an accomplished children's author. I don't know if you've written books that are not for children. Uh let's let, let's start from the beginning. Tell us your story. Tell us how you got to where you are and how you got to writing books. Okay, sure. Let's see. I'm not sure where I should start, but I I, I I went to Harvard because I was searching for like ultimate wisdom. So like I figured Harvard is the place, you know, I want to go to like, I wanted to learn about the purpose of life and learn about everything. So that's where I went. And um, I had an amazing time there. And um, are you actually, from, are you from New York? I'm from, you could tell from the way I speak, right? Yeah. yeah I'm, just I'm, I'm from, I'm from New York. I went to Forest Hills High School in Queens okay. and, um, so did Simon and Garfunkel, you know, mm-hmm. so <laughs> they were a little bit before me, mm-hmm. but, um, so, um, I went to after, yeah, I studied hard because I was like fascinated by learning about everything in life. And I, I went there. Actually, while I was there, I became an expert in the field of eating disorders for women. And, um, like I, I helped write this chapter in a book called, um, oh my goodness. Now I forget what the name, um, 
women look at biology. Yeah, women look at bio- looking at biology, looking at women. It's still a popular book in women's studies courses, like all over the uh, United States. And I, I was like an expert in that field. And while I was becoming an expert, I was getting sicker and sicker myself, actually, with eating disordered behavior. And that's like not surprising because many of the people that are experts in that field are suffering. And that's why they're drawn to learn more about it. I went after. Yeah. So I'm sorry. You, you directed your undergraduate studies towards understanding this field because of your own problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I did a lot of research in this field. I wrote about it and I was involved in a course. We put together a book an anthology. And that was my research work. And then I was giving talks on that while I was an undergraduate, even um, at Harvard. Um, And then I went on to medical school and I wanted to become a psychiatrist, of course. (laughs) And, um, you know, so because again, I was fascinated by the mind body connection and um that was actually when I was at my sickest, like that first year in medical school, I was suffering terribly. Nobody would know because that's one of the things about um like a binge eating disorder. It oftentimes it fluctuates with um extreme restrictive dieting. So I was doing one or the other. You could not tell from looking at me that I was suffering. Nobody would know. I look like this very successful person, you know, nominated to Phi Beta Kappa at Harvard and then at medical school, like everything was great. But inside, I was, I was, I, I'd say I was desperately hungry. I was <laughs> just nothing was filling me within, even though everything seemed fine in my life. And I didn't know what was missing. Well, the summer after my first year of medical school, I went to Israel basically because my parents wanted me to date someone Jewish. You know, I was like always dating non-Jews. It was just part of my, like, why should I date someone Jewish? I didn't see why, you know, I, I didn't see the purpose of being Jewish or why was it valuable? I I didn't really see any reason for that. And I wanted, you know, I felt my parents taught me to love all people. So what was the problem? You know, my, my boyfriend was Catholic in at Harvard. And then when I got to medical school, my boyfriend was a Southern Baptist, you know, and um, his, his mother was not thrilled that she, he was dating someone Jewish, but I, you know, so that's what happened. And then, um, that summer, I had six weeks, so I was volunteering at Hadassah Hospital in um, Israel, and I I remember my parents said, you know, there was one guy I knew, and they said he became like a religious fanatic, like, don't contact him, so like, right away, I contacted him, you know, and I was like, I want to know about the purpose of life. Like, I want to help my patients. I don't even get why life is worth living. And he's like, don't worry about your patients. You need to know. So, you know, he took me to places where I could learn about Judaism from the very beginning. And I began to learn in depth. And I didn't understand how one thing had to do with the other. Why did these 
eating disordered behavior that I had? Why did it slowly start to drift away as I became nourished with what filled my soul? Like, I didn't understand until when I went home um, years later, I found my old diaries and journals and I saw the pattern. I was able to see the thread tying it all together. What did it have to do with that, that endless hunger that I could never be filled? You know, um, what was that about? And then I realized I, my, my, it was my soul that was hungry. The emptiness inside, the, the, the emptier we feel and feel feel inside the more we try to fill it with externalities that's how people develop addictions and that's what was happening but really it was just a spiritual hole and I didn't know that and once I got the spiritual nourishment I was craving I was never running on empty again you know and what fills my life now is is gratitude and spiritual nourishment so I wanted to write the kind of books I wished I had as a child from the very beginning of life to fill children's lives, to, to help them recognize that they're souls that need spiritual nourishment as much as we need physical nourishment every day in order to thrive in life. Beautiful. Uh, and the question of, of, on the topic of filling your soul with, with the spirituality, did you find that the eating disorders were self-corrected as you started to learn and connect with what you were growing, with what you were learning? Exactly. And I didn't understand what did one thing have to do with the other? Mm -hmm. Like, why was I no longer doing these binges? It wasn't like it happened immediately, but over the course of a year of integrating the, the spiritual nourishment into my life, I found that I was no longer doing those really, which became really bizarre behaviors. When a person has an addiction, they usually do it in private. So people didn't even see me doing these things I was doing. And yet it was just, it was just not happening anymore. And I didn't even understand what does one thing have to do with the other? So the only book I wrote for adults is actually yeah, do I have it right here? I'm not besides, sure. Besides but, the chapter yeah. that you wrote in college, right? Oh, yeah, that's, and I've edited other books too, but the only book that I've written is Searching for God in the Garbage because that's what I was doing. I'm searching every place and, and it's all about that. Um, so, and I didn't really write the book because I write really short books. I compiled it like from, excerpts from my diaries, which became journals when I got older, and then letters home. So it, and then I filled in the missing pieces, like what's it like to be on a binge, like, it's very raw and candid, people reading it are like, how could you expose these parts of your life? I do it because if you don't know how low and painful life could be, then then you can't appreciate how light and full of joy it can become. So I feel the contrast is important and I, I don't hold anything back in this book. I really explain how painful it was for me. 
And so people have read that book and they've gotten back to you and, and said how, it, how, how it's helped them? Yes, it's, it's, it's very popular book. And not only, it's not only for Jewish people, it's everybody. I mean, addictions are more widespread than ever because every person, Jewish, non-Jewish, we all need to fill our souls. We're all spiritual beings. But we look like we're bodies. We look like we're just physical. So it's invisible. But invisible, invisibly, we're souls that need spiritual nourishment to thrive, Jewish or non-Jewish. And everybody needs that. We, as a Jewish soul, we have specific nourishment to us. But, you know, for other souls, there's the nourishment that they need to thrive as well. Yeah. That's a beautiful message. Okay, so now you touched upon starting to write the kind of books that you wish you had to make the foundation, the healthy foundation for children. Can you tell us about how you got started with writing children's books? Yeah, I started really when my children were very little. I just started writing a book. I was I was in Israel. We we lived in Israel for 10 years. Um and my husband is also a person that wasn't um, brought up observant of the Torah guidelines. And he became observant also um, after college in Israel. <laughs> but we... Um, Me too. Yeah. <laughs> so um, when my children were little, I sat outside. They were playing in the playground and I wrote a book that came to my mind. I, I put it in an envelope. I sent it to Israel. I sent it to America. And six weeks later, I got back a response that it was accepted. I'm like, whoa, I can write children's books, you know? So I just kept going. And now, yeah, this week, my 41st book was published. Wow. Um, yeah. Thought, it's, yeah. It's called Don't Read This Book. That's what it's called. It's Don't gonna be the bestseller of all. For sure, it's going to be the bestseller <laughs> of all. No doubt. <laughs> it's it's about the inner adversary, which in 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 Hebrew it's called the Yetzahara. It's the inner adversary which we all have. It's talking to us all day long, whispering, "Don't read this book," because it doesn't want you to know. It's tricks. It's got a lot of tricks. Once we learn its tricks, we can have a blast overriding the messages. Like, like one of the messages is, um, you are lacking this. You are missing this. Focus on that. Be miserable, you know? So if we recognize, oh my gosh, this book explains to young children, see, if we, if you can learn this when you're young, your whole life is different. You have these tools from the very beginning of how to have a more joyful life. So it took me 30 years to write this book because I wrote it and something was still, I knew it wasn't complete. I didn't know what. 10 years later, I get a new insight. I write more of the manuscript. It's still missing something. And just recently in the last year, I had the biggest insight. It changed the whole book and I knew it was ready to be published. It was like, it's an amazing insight. So I'm sharing it for young children 
and adults don't even know it. But like, if you learn it early on, then your whole life is different. When you call the Yetzahara, when you call the inner adversary by its name, it loses its power the minute that you do that. It shrinks away. It disappears. It, 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 well, it, this, it's, it's depicted as a fly because, um, in, in Torah literature, it's described as a fly that's always coming back. You shoot it away, it comes back again. But you learn these techniques like calling it by its name. Oh, it's you. When you recognize it, that's it. It loses its power. It quickly goes away. It's no fun. It's so it, it knows to leave the minute you catch on, you know? Uh, there's um, so and there's so lots there, of other yeah. tricks. Yeah. So, there. so the, you're talking about uh, 10 years and 10 years and then, and then finally publishing it 30 years later. Well, tell us about the process. How, how do you start? How does that go from an idea to the book? Okay. The so this is how it works. It's amazing. Like, let's say during the pandemic, a mother called me up. Sometimes ideas just come to me. So, okay. But this, let's say a mother calls me during the pandemic. We need a book. My children are all home. They're eating junk all day. They're sleeping like they're going to bed at crazy hours. They're not exercising. you got to write a book about this. I mean, by now, people know me, so they know I'm writing these books. And also, I didn't tell you this. When I was at Harvard, even as an undergraduate, I was taking courses at the Graduate School of Public Health. And because I love public health. So let's, some of my books are about overcoming abuse and eating. He- so this book is about eating healthy. And I explain why. Why is it important to eat healthy? Like parents say, just eat your vegetables. But why, you know? The book actually explains. Oh, right. I got off track. So the, so, so the mother calls me. Please write a book about this. I go, that's a great idea, but I don't exactly know how to do it. So I go to sleep. I really, I try to ask God to help me come up with a way to do this. So I go to sleep. A few nights later, I wake up. I keep a pad by my bed. I have the name of the book. Let's stay healthy. I have exactly how to write the whole book, you know? So I'm scribbling away. I wake up. It happens a lot when I wake up in the morning because I don't know what's going on with the neural activity, but it all comes together. Like, and I, I start writing it down. I call it, it feels like a downpour. So. With this book, the new book, I say like it was drizzling down for years. It wasn't like a downpour until the end, you know. But with this, it came down all at once. I had exactly how to do the book. So I called that the mother up. I said, you won't believe it. I got it. I could do this book. So now just just as a sorry to stop the inspiration interrupt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> as a, as a practical, practical perspective. Did you say to this mother, Will you help me publish it? Will you, will you commission the book? Ah, no, I really didn't. But uh, what happened is I sent my, up until that point, there were like 39 books published. And I, when I write them, I send them out to traditional publishers. And, um, that's how my books have gotten published. I'm a, I, I personally, I'm an idealist. 
So I'm not, I was, I'm not out to make a lot of money for my books. So I make like very little money for my books, really. And I don't care at all because that's not my motivation in life, you know, but I, I love getting the messages out to the world. But what happened with this book is I told my children I'd written this manuscript for Let's Stay Healthy. And they said, don't send it to any publishers. We would like to augment our income. We want to become your, the publishers of your books from now on. Oh. So with this was the first book my children published. They be, they have become my publishers. And so these are the two books that they have now published. Okay. <laughs> and there's two more coming out. So basically everything just shifted at this point with this book so that they are now supplementing their incomes because publishers can make a lot of money. Um, you know, I get a small percentage of the Roy, of the Roy, I get royalties and it's a small percentage of the, the it's the net profit that they make. I mm -hmm. get, so most of the money goes to the publishers. Right. Okay. I see. Very good. Now, can you tell us about you of all these 41 books? Can you tell us some of the topics that you spoke on that you, that you wrote about and, and, and if there were some that had more of an impact based on the feedback? Yes. And also I want to add in the question you asked about sponsoring the book. Yeah. So my children, in order to make money on, a, on the book, they did get people to sponsor the books. That's exactly what they did. Okay. See, without my, I don't, I'm not a business type, so I don't do those kind of things, but they, they are make, they are making this into a business. So they found sponsors. They tell them what the books are about and they found, they have found sponsors for all the, so for the four books that they're coming out with. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's, that's one so, way to do it. <laughs> yes, exactly. It, it is a new way that's happening now. Uh -huh. Um, so one of the books that's had a tremendous impact on our world is let's stay safe. This book it's in, I think almost 150,000 homes now wow. it's, it's, it's all over. It's changed the way um, I'm going to say the orthodox world views abuse. Um, when I wrote this book, you're going to notice my name is not on this book. Mm -hmm. They did not want my name on the book. They took it off just before it was published because they were so afraid that I would get backlash. It was such a stigma to write about abuse at that time. It was a breakthrough book. Mm -hmm. It was a game changing book. And, um, you would, it was, it's hard to believe that now because this book has really changed in the orthodox world so much that now children learn about uh, the prevention of abuse early on, but that wasn't happening. This book was published in 2011 and it was a breakthrough. Um, a few years later, the um, private places book came out in 2014. This book just focuses on the topic of abuse. While in this book, it was just stuck in the middle as another normative for audio, safety sorry, measure. Sorry, for the audio listeners, I just wanted to mention that she's showing us this book and this book. We don't know which book you're talking I'm about. I'm sorry. sorry. Let's this, stay safe in general. Yeah, let's stay safe. Okay. It just talks about abuse as another normative safety measure. Uh, but the book that's now called um, Personal Privacy uh -huh. 
let's talk about personal privacy. Um, this was its original name when it was first published. That book could just focus on the problem, has my name on it, no problem. And this was just three years after the initial book, this other book was published. So things changed mightily during that time. It's very exciting for me to see that my books are changing lives. So I'm very hopeful that Let's Stay Healthy can also have a transformative effect because we really need a revolution in this field, especially in the Orthodox communities that are not as open to change in this regard. And yet, and that's why it was so important to focus specifically on the Orthodox community with these safety books and for let's stay healthy as well. I'm, I'm, I'm explaining why it's so vital and why it's a mitzvah. It's, it's an actual important Torah guideline to keep our bodies healthy. Yeah. How do you know that your books are changing? Is that based on the feedback you're getting or just based on the sales? <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, they're widespread now. The books are in just about everybody talks about it now. It's not like a problem to educate children on this topic. It's completely transformed um, the Orthodox community's outlook on uh, reporting abuse, on educating children, being proactive about it beforehand so that children are informed. Before this, it was like, we can't talk about this subject. It's not sneeze. It's not a modest thing to discuss. And now they realize how important it is to be proactive. It's like it's described as like an inoculation. We need to help children beforehand so they can avoid it and know what to do if it has happened to a child, how to report it. So in writing these books that you hope that you hope and that you've seen are implementing social change, are you consulting with experts to figure out what to do, what to write, or how to portray it? Yes, I love to do that. I I don't write until I feel I've done enough research on a subject that I could write about it. Now, for instance, I was um for almost 20 years, I was the coordinator of a Big Brother Big Sister program. So I it really wasn't a field that I became an expert in, the prevention of abuse of children, and I went to many workshops and seminars on the subject and read an extensive amount of literature on the subject. So um, basically, I, I knew how to present it. And now I just had to present it in a um, in, in a cult, in a cultural um, culturally appropriate. way that could be a culturally appropriate way that could be readily absorbed. Exactly. Yes. There's also another, oh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I love that. Another example is, um, here's a book. Let's say I could find this one here. Um, I was very, like, one of the things that I'm very interested in is, um, I, one of my, one of my grandchildren was born with a severe disability. And when she was born, people said, now I'm going to write about disabilities. But I was not an expert in this field. I couldn't write about it. So I would love to, but I couldn't. 
So I read an article and it was written by a woman named Yael Zellinger who goes around giving workshops to children, explaining to them, children that are not so neurodiverse, explaining neurodiversity, explaining what it's like to have a disability and how to be more inclusive and interactive with people that have disabilities, especially other children. So when I read her article, I I called her up and I said, I would love to make this into a picture book so that everybody that doesn't get your workshop can still understand the skills that you're teaching. She loved the idea. And so that's why let's appreciate everyone. It, I incorporate her workshop material into the book, plus other things that I've learned other places. I did more research on it. And that's what the book is explaining. Children would love to be more interactive with other children, especially when they see a physical disability as well as invisible disabilities like social disabilities, but they don't know what to do. Right. So it explains very clearly practical guidelines. Yeah. Adults also don't know what to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. We all need, that's a, that's another secret. Do you know who you affect when you write a, a picture book for young children? You affect every single age level. People don't realize this. They think, why is a Harvard graduate writing books for little young children? First of all, I love taking deep ideas and bringing out, extracting the essence so that simplifying the deepest concepts so that anybody can understand them. And when you simplify something so a young child can understand them, and then the parents are reading the books to the children and grandparents are reading books to the children and teenagers, they see the books laying around and like they secretly read them when no one's looking. So you, you actually reach every single age level with a picture book. People don't realize that if you want to get an idea across to everyone, that's the route. That's the way to go. Wow. Yeah. I know it works the other I know it works the other way too because because I, I grew up, maybe you did too, with uh, the Berenstein Bears. And yes. it was very interesting because I Berenstein Bears are as as, as innocent and fun loving as, as it comes. When I got married and we had and we had kids and my wife took a look at Berenstein Bears books that, that were sent to me. I won't say who who sent them. She says, I don't want I don't like these. And I said, What's the problem? And she said, Because there's sh- the message is being drilled in. Yeah, men are stupid. Papa bear is yep. stupid. Stupid. Yep. Mama bear is always right. Mom bear is always right. <laughs> so that's like, for what it's worth, there's there's some reason that that's what the authors wanted to get across, and they were doing it subtle, subtle message that men are stupid, men are dumb, and that's what they're that's what you're giving over to the children and and to the parents. So it's, that's not. I don't. I don't want to give that message to my to my children. Exactly. People don't realize the there are sometimes insidious messages that are below the surface that are getting into us, which we don't even realize from these picture books. And that's true. In fact, in the Berenstein bear books, it's the children that are smarter than the, than the, the parents, you know, yeah. uh, the, and it makes the parents look like dummies. And it's, it's creating very, uh, a disrespect for listening to older people. It's mm-hmm. really true. 
Um, absolutely. This is something I only discovered later on. Exactly. Exactly what you're saying. Okay. Yes. Okay. Now, can you tell me what was the first children's book that you wrote? <laughs> it was called The Itchy Shabbos because I can't stand mosquitoes. And it was about what do you do? Like, how do you not like, um, swat a mosquito on Shabbos, you know? And how you, you, how do you do that? You develop a certain kind of strength, you know? What's the purpose of mosquitoes? The, I really, I learned recently, way after I wrote this book, that, the, that mosquitoes are the only thing that was created that has no good purpose in this world. So I really think, I don't know how that happened that I wrote this book, but it's amazing because I it came up with the only purpose is like to develop the strength to know that you can basically overcome your need to do something um, by um, restraining. Yes, developing those abilities um, within yourself. Yeah, lifting and yourself it's not above, easy. Lifting yourself above the, the little annoyances of life. Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. You said it perfectly, yes. <laughs> Very interesting. Now, a lot of our listeners may be surprised to, to hear that, what's this about not squatting, squatting mosquitoes? Okay, that's another another topic. <laughs> it's right, that's right. It's, 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 a, it's a really hard one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I mean, those mosquitoes. Oh, my gosh, yes. But we want, we want creatures to live. You know, we're not into killing things, especially on the Sabbath. That is the thing. It's about a day of appreciation for life. So that's one way we could look at it. You know, we're, we're, we, we always want to be appreciating God, all of God's creatures everywhere. Uh, mosquitoes can be annoying, but so even on the day of Sabbath, we're trying to appreciate even the mosquito, you know? Yeah. Now, was there another, was there feedback from that first book that encouraged you to go further? Is uh, let, tell me how it developed into something that I, I, were you identifying yourself as a author of children, an author of children's books, and and somebody who's going deeper along along that line? Along yeah, that line. I don't know if I got so much feedback. I mean, I was in Israel. The book was published in America. It gave it just gave me a good feeling that I realized this is how you write a picture book, you know. And so I just kept going. I, I, um, I was writing for years, writing, watching my children, seeing what were their issues and, 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 and writing about, you know, different conflicts. The happiness box was one of my first books. Um, you know, there were all these books. I, I, I remember one book, like I would read books to my children and sometimes it would be like a, um, a book like, um, I'd see a book that was not a Jewish book and I'd say, you know, this, we could do this about looking at the world through Jewish eyes from the very beginning. This is a board book. So I had that. And one of my earliest is that, books. Is that your book that at home? That's, yeah. What do you see at home? Yeah. What do you see at home? Okay. And it's a way to look at the world through Jewish eyes. It's essentially, yeah. you can feel the. From very beginning, yeah. it's giving vocabulary to babies this is a this is a board book so it's from ages like zero to three so that they could see the world in a jewish joyful way from the very beginning and and like another early book was the invisible book this is like showing that all the things we believe in that are invisible we believe in 
gravity. You know, you let go of the book and it drops. It's an invisible force. We believe in time. We believe in feelings. We believe in thoughts. We believe in how does a magnet pick up a paperclip? Invisible electromagnetism. So why is it so hard to believe that we too are invisible? We too are souls, invisible souls. In other words, we see the effects of all these invisible forces, even though we never see them. But with our senses, you know, but we see, we know they exist. So it's not that hard to believe that we too are essentially um, spiritual beings connected to a spiritual source. Um, so it's putting, I, I, I'm using it through science in a way to explain. And it's the first law of thermodynamics that energy is never lost or destroyed. You know, when we die, is that it? No, there's still, there's still this energy of us that goes on and on and on. It's science. Uh, this is how, you know, spirituality and science are combined. When you, when you, when you think about the world, it makes so much sense to understand it from a spiritual perspective. What year did you publish your first children's book? <laughs> Oh my gosh, so long. Uh, I just like to say when my children were little. How about that? <laughs> right. I'm going to guess the 1980s? Yep. Okay, there you go. And yep. at the, I know that this is uh, here, we're, we're in 2022. Hopefully, this podcast will live forever. But um, 40 years later, that I know 40 years ago, the community, the Jewish community, the Orthodox Jewish community, let's say the, the, the community that was consuming uh, children's books written for the observant Jews, that, that was very small, correct? Right, right. Okay. exactly. So, but there was still a need. There's probably, there weren't, there weren't very many books available, I imagine. There were so few. That's why it was such a thrill, you know, to be able to just begin observing the Torah's guidelines and be able to help the community, to add more to it. It was such a thrill for me to have my books accepted really like a couple of years after I became observant. Yeah. Now, t- tell us about working with an illustrator. Do you do your own illustrations? I wish so. I love to draw. I love to draw creatures. I kind of draw like Dr. Seuss, but I, I don't feel like not as nowhere near as good, but um, I draw like weird kind of creatures. I've never <laughs> illustrated my own books yet. So um, what happens is, when I worked with the other publishers, you know, many of times they would hire a publisher. And then through the years, we work back and forth through the computer. I get to have feedback in, in making changes and giving feedback to the illustrator as we work along. Um, sometimes I get to pick the illustrator. And now um, working with my children as the publishers, you know, we pick out the illustrator and we work with them all along in the process. Yes, it's it's such an exciting process to see a book come together and get born. It's it's amazing. Yes. Is there any, any is there ever any tension or frustration in that creative process where the illustrator said, "I made this beautiful illustration of what you're trying to get across, and you don't like it"? <laughs> and you say, um, Try it again. <laughs> You know, in the first few years, 
I wasn't involved in the very beginning. I never uh-huh. saw the book till it got published. Wow. Now, of course, with the, with the computers, it's so easy to do it. I'm so much more involved. So yeah, it doesn't really happen so much except like once in a while, the book was all ready and they showed me the cover and I said, Oh my gosh, you have made a major mistake on this cover. You cannot do this. You can't go to press. And they saw it. They saw what I saw and they corrected it. Everything got fixed up. I mean, you know, you have to have a few eyes seeing it. Not too many. You can't listen to everybody, you know, throwing their stuff into the soup. It'll get ridiculous. But yeah, it, it's really important to have my input into it. I, I've never had a, a bad conflict. We, we seem to mesh with the, with the illustrators. It goes in a, in a really beautiful way. Yeah. This, this I found interesting. Is it appropriate to ask you what was the what was the mistake that you needed to correct? Oh my gosh. Okay. okay, let's see if I, oh here we go. Okay, let's please. swim safely is this okay. book. Okay. okay. So <laughs> the book is about how important it is for parents to don't take your eyes off of a toddler. You gotta be within an arm's length away, never get far away from your children when they're swimming in the water. On the cover of the book, the father is sitting down and talking to someone else in his lounge chair while the children are in the pool. I was like, oh, my goodness. No way. You can't. This is exactly what the book is about. I mean, we can't do this. Oh, I don't know. Nobody realized. Okay, it got fixed immediately. So I was like. (laughs) Perhaps you could have kept it there with a big circle with a line through it, right? Right. Oh, and that's what they have at the end of the book. That's huh? exactly you pick the right one and the wrong one. Don't there do this. Yeah, okay. right. <laughs> yeah, but not in the cover. Not in the cover. Let's no. swim safely. No, you don't want to show the, an example of of yeah. lack of safety when the book is like less than safe. Yes. Very good. Yes. Okay. Very interesting. Now I'm just <laughs> I'm curious. You wrote forty you wrote forty one books. Forty one books are published, is that correct? Forty one um, children's books and the one mm-hmm. book for adults, right? So now yeah. I can't see your desk in front of you, but do you have them all, all right there just to select whenever you were, we're talking about, uh, um, not really. Okay. Um, I have a few, I have them all, but since I'm kind of living in two places at once, uh-huh, uh-huh. um, I don't have all my books here, but, um, my daughter lives with her family upstairs. So I took a bunch of them that I use when I'm on different shows and I keep them right here with me. So I have a bunch of my books here. Not, not all 41 books. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, is there a, is there a non-Jewish children's book that you think is so important for, or it does such a good job of accomplishing whatever it's set out to accomplish that you, that you would, that you can pick out and. Oh, one of my books. I mean, like I, this book, I want to be famous. It's, it's, it's it's about a boy who wants to be famous, just like so many children want it. But nowadays, it can actually happen overnight. The boy is doing something ridiculous. Someone takes a YouTube video of him doing this. He becomes famous, and he's loving it. He's having a blast. And then... They find someone else who could do it even better than him. He's he's miserable. The fame is gone just as quickly as he got it. He he doesn't want to come out of bed anymore. He's like miserable. 
until he realizes, wait a minute, I don't need that spotlight out there. If I could get the spotlight shining from within, every day will be amazing. That's really what it's about. It's about getting the spotlight to shine. It's about nourishing the soul within to shine forever. Then you don't need that. The fame, the fortune. I actually got there. I felt like I I reached that mountaintop at Harvard. I was on this, I was at this garden party with like the children of the most famous, the Kennedys, the Rockefellers, Moynihan. And they were like as bored as anybody else looking for something more in life too. There's nothing there. It's a mirage. I, I feel blessed that I got there because that's not what life is about. Life is about filling up on gratitude, being grateful for all you have. That's, well, that's what we learn in the Talmud. Who is rich? Those who are happy with what they have. And and that's it, filling your life up. That's really what all the mitzvahs are about. It's our way of giving back with gratitude for for the gift of life and all the abundance of gifts in our life every day. This is what I want children to learn more than anything, how awesome life is, how life is filled with gifts so that they won't be taking everything for granted. There's so much of a sense of entitlement now, and we need to be more appreciative so that we can really fill up with gratitude and have joyful lives. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think that's a great note to end on. I just wanted to ask, I just wanted to ask, Bracha, is there anything that we didn't speak about that you hoped that we would talk about? That's a story that we, that we could have brought out. I, th- I think you did a great job. I, 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 one of my favorite quotes is enjoy the little things in life because one day you'll look back and you realize those were the big things. Enjoy each precious moment. The, 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 the pandemic, I feel, was a huge push forward spiritually. We lost so much all at once. We, we, we began to live more simple lives. We began to appreciate hugs. We began to appreciate getting together with other people. We began to appreciate our breath, our health. So let's keep moving forward spiritually. We're on a great path now to to fill our lives up with gratitude. We had this big push forward. Let's, let's use it for what it has given us and continue to just appreciate life more and more deeply. Okay. Amen. And we appreciate so much. And we have, we're so grateful to you, Bracha, for your time and for sharing with us your world and your experience and, and the great, the great work that you've done to help so many families, so many children, and to make the world beautiful. Oh, oh something I want to say one more thing. If you write a book, yes, you never have to get burnt out like promoting it. People, people oh. don't realize when you, when you publish the book, that's step one. People think that's the last step. It's the beginning. Then you have the rest of your life to share the treasures in your book. 
So enjoy the process. Don't have this end goal. You know, I want to sell a million copies. Enjoy the whole process of letting people know about your book. That's what I do now every day. It's, it, it's like really a soapbox. It's a platform for me to stand on and be able to share about gratitude and joy in life. That's really what I use my books for to, to just make the world a more joyful place. So I want to encourage everybody. If you feel you have a goal to write a book, enjoy the process of letting everyone know about it. Don't do things you don't enjoy. Do what you enjoy because there's an infinite number of ways to publicize about your book. Do what you love and you'll never waste a minute because you'll just be enjoying the whole process. Wonderful. Thank you so very much. We really appreciate this. Okay. Bye. (laughs) Bye -bye. (laughs) Bye-bye. You've just listened to another great episode of Our Tribe, the podcast, brought to you by the Podcast Fellowship and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein. Tune in each week, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe, the podcast. If you have any suggestions or questions, email us at ourtribe at podcastfellowship.org. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive.